For more than two years, Larry Morrow shared incredible conversations with broadcast legends from Cleveland and around the world with his radio audience on Salem Broadcasting. The radio program was called Larry Morrow's Take Two. So now it's time to take you back to those 30-minute shows as we do a podcast replay here on the Larry from the Heart podcast platform. Subscribe to this podcast and remember to share it with a friend. This is Larry Morrow's Take Two, the podcast. Enjoy. I'm Larry Morrow, and this is Take Two, the radio program that looks inside a person's adventure, not so much from the outside in, but the inside out. So in the next 30 minutes, you'll discover the inward joy of the heart of Greg Harris, president and CEO of our beloved Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which has married him to a passion of his life and the affirmation of ideals that directed his success. So from Cooperstown to Cleveland, when Greg Harris is not tracking the Rolling Stones, exile on Main Street, he's focused on engaging, teaching, and inspiring us with the stories of the people and songs that have shaped our world. Greg, this is part two. Welcome. Good to have you back again. My pleasure. Great to be with you again, Larry. Um, I will never forget. It was Friday. September the 1st, over 25 years ago, the sky was a brilliant blue, uh, over 10,000 in attendance, and I can still hear Mayor White's voice saying, we did it, we did it, he did, for three times, we did it. And then he said, but as he stepped up and he said, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> so, um, so with that, Chris, looking into your crystal ball, what do you think think this place is going to look like in 25 years from now. After all, you'll only be 49. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. You know, rock and roll does keep you young. <clears throat> um, I think that what's interesting is when the museum was first conceived, the idea was that it would um, be this treasure for Cleveland, Ohio, and that it would have an economic impact to the region of like $35 million, what they thought. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is our economic impact is close to $200 million. Mm. And so I think that whatever we're doing now, they're going to be exceeding it in 25 years and growing it. And this place is such a iconic, iconic place. It's on such a firm footing. And really, we work through with great um, leaders and curators and others through the years. We have this wonderful base to build on for our future. Um, and we're an organization that isn't happy to to coast. We're not happy with just maintenance mode. We always want to grow and impact more people and be more powerful. And that you have done. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's been deliberate. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's easy to keep doing what you're doing. It's always hard to do a little more. And we have a culture here where uh, our staff is always stretching. They they love it. We want to reach more people. We want to be more impactful. And we have the, this vision that guides all of our work. And, and the vision is to broaden our reach, so to grow, mm-hmm. through meaningful connections with visitors, fans, artists, and each other. And meaningful connections, you know, you know that um, yes. in your career, that's that's what really is the magic, meaningful connections. It really is. Um during the opening, um, I was down for the opening, and then I had received a call from our friend Avery Friedman, and uh, we were actually watching Channel 8 at the time, and he was on with Casey Kasem, whom I had not ever met, mm-hmm. but I was a big fan. Casey and I have the same heritage. You know, we're both Lebanese, and uh-huh. and we both come from Detroit, and and he worked in Cleveland, as, as I had done. And uh, during the interview, I said... Um, 
so you've seen the beautiful Rock and Roll Hall of Fame IMP design. I said, what do you think of that? And he said, you know, Larry, he said, it's sort of a composite of his greatest hits. <laughs> and I thought, what a wonderful comment coming yeah. from, from Casey Kasem. Well, you know, at the time that Pei was hired to do this, he was the hottest architect in the world. Mm -hmm. And what was really important was he was a, an architect that was designing these world-renowned buildings. And rock and roll was an upstart art form. It was loud. Your parents didn't like it. It had this edge and it was a little gritty. And to hire an architect that was world-class to build the home for this place said, wow, this mm -hmm. art form is matured. It's now high culture and really deserving of a building like this. And that's why he was the perfect architect. It's the perfect building. This is the guy that built the pyramid next to the Louvre. Yes. It's, you know, it's the same idea. And now we've taken it and we've sort of pushed it even further the last couple of years. <laughs> Can you give us some idea, uh, Greg Harris, after this is built, first of all, when, when will you start? Secondly, when do you think it will be finished? And yeah. then thirdly, what will it look like? Sure. So, yeah, we're going to expand this building. Um, for those that haven't visited yet, this is this beautiful pyramid that sits on the lake. We're going to have more lakefront activity. We're going to build an expansion that goes out uh, west on the lakeside, and we can open up giant doors to have lake views and lake breezes. Uh, there'll be event space. Expect to hear music when you come through. It's uh -huh. not a quiet museum. Mm -hmm. Expect if you arrive in the summer, there'll be a live band playing uh, on our plaza, cranking, and that uh, there will be a festival feel with food trucks and a beer garden. And then inside <laughs> the museum itself, it will have you know all the great artifacts. I'm looking out. I see Bruce Springsteen's convertible right now is on exhibit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, it'll have all those great artifacts, but it's also a place where you can experience rock and roll. You can put a Fender Stratocaster around your neck and crank it up and play it. Hmm. You can put a, a Gibson Les Paul and play it. You can play drums. You can jam with other visitors. Uh, you can come and sing Let It Be with your family. Well, you're uh, wetting my appetite because I'm a guitar player and I know that you are too. Oh, we, we <laughs> should be doing this up in the garage, Larry, and we should be playing. <laughs> you bet. So, yeah, but those are all, it, it's the idea that rock and roll isn't just to look at the instruments. Rock and roll is a living, breathing art form. You need to hear it, you need to feel it, you need to experience it. And that's what we do here at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, and I'm the type of guy who will never settle down. Where pretty girls are, well, you know that I'm around. I kiss them and I love them, cause to me they're all the same. I hug them and I squeeze them, they don't even know my name. They call me the Wanderer. For, um, for more than 40 years as an institution, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has created tons of memories centered around the greatest artists in musical history. And we could go back to, all the way back to Elvis Presley and before that with Chuck Berry and Little Richard and on and on. Uh, this is probably an unfair question, Greg Harris, because there are so many musical legends here, but is there a favorite exhibition or artist that you can't wait to see over and over and over again? Wow. You know, this is such an amazing building and the exhibits are so great that my favorites change over time. I love Roots music. So I love seeing, you know, Howlin' Wolf's guitar and Etta James's things in our, in our uh, blues exhibit. Mm. I'm a big fan of The Clash. So seeing Joe Strummer's things on exhibit uh, are, are powerful. But I will say there's one piece right now that uh, continues to be my favorite. And um, you'll know the artist, but in, in this 
as you pass Elvis, you get to an exhibit case that has Dion. It has um, Buddy Holly, Little Richard, Chuck Berry, Fats Domino. And right in the center is none other than Doc Pomus. Ah. Now, as a DJ, you know who Doc Pomus is, but most mm. people probably don't recognize the name. And Doc was a songwriter. Mm-hmm. And you may not know his name, but you know his songs. He wrote This Magic Moment. He wrote Teenager in Love. Um, he wrote, uh, um, I believe, Viva Las Vegas. Oh, and, yeah. And a million other great songs. And Doc had polio as a child, and he used crutches in his adult life, and then a mm-hmm. wheelchair later on. And he sat at his own wedding reception, and he watched his new bride dance with the best man, dance with her father, dance with her brother, and um, he couldn't dance with her. So he took the the table card from his own wedding and he wrote on the back, save the last dance for me. Oh. And that card is on exhibit. And he went home and wrote the song. How tender. You, you, you're good at making people cry. Come on. <laughs> well, you know, and it sounded, the story is so good that you thought it could not be true. And we checked with his widow. Every word of it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the amazing thing. The other amazing thing is when I shared that with you, all of your listeners, all I had to do was say, save the last dance for me. Mm-hmm. And they hear that chorus. They hear the drifters. They hear the strings. And that's how rock and roll connects all of us. You can dance every dance with the guy who gives you the eye. Let him hold you tight. You can smile every smile for the man who held your hand neath the pale moonlight. But don't forget who's taking home and in whose arms you're gonna be so darling save the last dance for me I I think of one of the greatest things that ever happened to me I just had graduated from high school in Pontiac Michigan and uh, had joined the Marine Corps and I'm with a bunch of guys and we were on our way to Camp Pendleton California San Diego and we stopped over in Chicago and the number one hit in the country at the time was Elvis Presley's first hit song. Uh, and I had seen a picture of him. And so we're waiting for our plane to head for California. And we went into a bar just to get, a, not a drink, uh, but just to hang out for a while. And I looked over at the bar and I said to the guys, that's Elvis Presley sitting at the bar. I said, Let's go over and say hi. And they said, oh, no, man, you go do that. Oh, we're too nervous. I mean, that really is Elvis. I'll never forget walking over to him. And I said, Elvis, you don't know me from from Adam, but uh, my name is Larry Morrow, and I'm heading with a bunch of guys. We're in the Marine Corps. And I said, I just bought Heartbreak Hotel. Wow. (laughs) Wow. And I said, and obviously I don't have it with me. And, and I said, but would you sign some autographs for us? So he grabbed a whole bunch, he grabbed a whole bunch of napkins and he signed Elvis Presley, Heartbreak Hotel, number one. And then he, then he took a, a, a second and he said, guys, look, I just want to thank you for serving America. It's so nice what you're, what you're about to do. And so um, I, I write in my book that my very first interview was with Elvis Presley. <laughs> Indeed. Larry, you're giving me goosebumps. You know, think about that. Think I mean, yeah. That moment and then what you've gone on to do with your career. Yeah. Um, really amazing. You know, there's a story that Bob Dylan tells of uh, seeing Buddy Holly uh, playing in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And he looks down from the stage and they make eye contact. And he said mm-hmm. it was electric and I knew I was going to be a performer. 
Mm-hmm. And you meeting Elvis on your cross country trip when Heartbreak Hotel just comes out, you were destined for radio, man. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lonely Street, that Heartbreak Hotel, where I'll be. I'll be just a lonely baby. Well, I'm so lonely. You know, you have, you have mentioned Dion a couple of times. Again, I, I bring up my friend Avery Friedman, um, who, of course, Greg knows very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, about a year and a half ago or so, uh, Avery called me and he said, by the way, Dion's coming in town and we're going to have dinner with him. He said, we're going to come we're going to go to the rock and roll hall of fame, which we did. We came, we spent a couple of hours here and you can imagine him walking through this place. So we came here and then we went to dinner and just as we're walking into dinner, um, Dion says, look who I was just with. And he, and he brings his phone out and he brings up a picture of Jack Scott. And I said, Dion, are you aware of his, his biggest song, What in the World's Come Over You? And he said, yeah, I love that song. And he said, I really like the bass parts. I said, I was the bass singer on that. <laughs> Dion said, are you crazy? You were the bass singer for What in the World's Come Over You? That's incredible. Isn't that a wonderful song? Oh, yeah, it's a wonderful song. And, 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 what, a, and, and what a time... Um, leaving the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before we even walk into a restaurant to have that happen. Yeah, well, right. well, Dion is royalty. Yes, uh, he is. Yeah, you know, amazing, amazing writer, amazing person, and uh, a, a long shadow on the whole history of rock and roll. Yeah. Greg, you know, knowing you as I do, you have uh, your antenna up, walking through this place, picking up signals that will make this rock hall better. Now, we know already that, you know, we've got $100 million coming in here and it's going to take some time to get it done. Am I close to saying that this might be one of the most treasured places in all of America? I believe it is. And I'll I'll go a little further than that, Larry. I think that this is the um, most relevant, powerful museum in the entire world. And here's why. And that's what I was looking for. Yeah. (laughs) Every person that walks through our front door, everybody has a reservoir of memory that's tied to the music that's in here. And -hmm. that's the stars of this place. It isn't, the artifacts are great. The guitars are great. The outfits are great, but it's the memories that people have when they see that, those materials, when they hear the music and the connections that they have in their life. And that's why it's the most powerful. I love all types of museums, but this is the only place where people walking in, this is the place where there's songs they got married to. There's songs mm-hmm. their heart was broken to. There's songs they fell in love to. There's songs that remind them of friends they haven't seen forever. And the greatest day of their life, it's all right here and the sounds are here. It really is. I, when, when you walk through, I had mentioned earlier, these are hallowed halls for some reason. And as you walk through, it's, it's a peaceful place. And at the same time, it won't be because you're going to have sound in this. The, yeah. You're going to you're going to have it, this place rocking and rolling. Well, it can't be too precious either. It, it's <laughs> rock right. and roll. One of the great, you know, funny examples of that is, you know, if you anybody that's been in a rock club, the bathrooms are always black and covered with posters and stuff. Yeah, and that's what we did to ours. <laughs> <laughs> you need to feel authentic. Yeah, and uh, it's important to be museum quality. We're never going to compromise safety and security of the artifacts or our visitors, but we can also be a little messy because it's rock and roll. Would you like to see forty fives come back again? And thirty threes. I'm a vinyl fan. I've got my turntable, uh, one in my office and one at home, and I, I play records pretty regularly. My daughter, my daughter came home the other day. Um, 
She says, Dad, look what I got. And when when my girls were in college, I, I bought them a record player and it had 33s and 45s on it. She said, Dad, I just went out and bought myself a brand new um, a long plane machine. I said, why would you want one of those? She says, Dad, they're coming back. <laughs> you know, the long plane, the, yeah. the 33s, they're coming back, Dad. <laughs> well, my, my pals, last in our last segment, we talked about the Philadelphia Record Exchange, uh, my old business, but they're doing really well. Mm-hmm. They said there's a whole crop of young people buying vinyl, and uh, they're having a really good year. Well, and we're all thrilled to see that, too. <laughs> in March of last year, the world came to a stop. The pandemic changed everything, and obviously— has had a lasting impact on just about everything we do and how we do it. Other than travel and tourism, which I'm sure has affected the Rock Hall, you were forced to lay off nearly 50 employees. What are your plans as you move forward? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, we, um, we all had hit that pause button, and then we had to say to ourselves, what would we deliver if we never open again? Ah. So we went deep. Uh, We dug into our vaults. We put out footage that has never been seen. And we have YouTube views that are are topping, you know, 50 million views and a staggering number of people doing things. But we also launched an educational platform so that teachers and students and parents that were teaching their kids at home could use rock and roll content to learn math, science, social studies. And that just blew it out. We reached a million students with that. And we continue to do things that, that reach people knowing that we will be reopening. Mm-hmm. 2021 will be different. Everybody's going to want to travel again. They're going to want to come here again. But we'll also have that digital backdrop as our, as our, uh, our rock to work from and continue to grow. But we, we use this moment. We didn't just close the doors and sort of hibernate. We used it to, to really push some things that we knew we wanted to do. We mm-hmm. accelerated some areas. We are stronger today than when we closed our doors in March. Isn't that and, something? And we've got a great staff. Everybody's working really well together, and we've got great content. And and you have an angel in Bill Cosgrove. Uh, Was, wasn't it wonderful that Bill stepped forward we, to help out? Yeah, you know, we have so many um, supportive donors uh, for the museum. And in this this moment of um, of closure, we we lost a lot of admission revenue. We lost our retail store revenue because people weren't on site. But donors stepped up and filled that in. And we have an incredible group of donors. And the one you referenced, Bill Cosgrove from Union Home Mortgage, has just been terrific for the museum in our final quarter. Uh, It's a long list, though. There's so many that support us and care about us, and we're grateful to all of them. Greg, do you have any idea at all when you might open? Uh, Yeah, we're sitting here. um, You know, we just entered the new year, Mm -hmm. and we'll be opening in the next few weeks. Wow. Uh, We're actively tracking uh, COVID cases nationally. And we know that our health and safety protocols at the museum are rock solid. Uh, mm-hmm. We have an infectious disease expert on our team. We have um, we reopened back in June, and we stayed open from June to November. We didn't have a single case of COVID transmission connected to visitors to our building or to our staff on site. So we're um, we're we're pleased with our protocols, and we're going to stick with them. And you know, it's a safe place. This place is massive. Uh, I would think that there's far less risk coming in here than there is going to your local grocery store or your, <laughs> your, uh, your, you know, your home center. Well, social distancing measures, I would think, uh, will have an impact on all of this. Are you putting that in? in- we are. You know, we, we're limiting the capacity in our theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody that comes to the museum has a time ticket, and they enter with that time ticket so that we know how many are in the building at any given time. And when they move through the exhibits, we want people to stay, respect each other's space. 
Uh, everybody must wear a mask when mm-hmm. they're uh, touring the museum. That includes employees and visitors. And uh, we're going to institute all those things until there's a day when we don't have to. Yeah, and and I would hope that would, would surely be within the next six months. Yeah, I, I, I'm confident that they're going to roll out these vaccines in a good way. Uh, plus, we have a huge outdoor space here. Mm-hmm. So we did 105 live outdoor shows last year. Wow. Even during the, the pandemic, because people wanted to gather outside and be with each other at a safe distance, many of the musicians that played our shows, it was the only time they played live all mm-hmm. year. Greg, the, um, the Rock Hall is both multicultural and multi-generational, so you are a diversity-driven edifice and constantly changing due to the music. Uh, the music itself brings a wealth of benefits, but I would think challenges as well. So what is the thread that holds this place together, Greg? You know, that's a terrific question. And really the thread that holds it together is that rock and roll connects us. Mm-hmm. It connects all of us. Um, there are We have people that we share the same experiences with, the same songs with, um, that are our peers, but it's also universal. So we can talk about somebody that went to Woodstock can actually relate to somebody that goes to Bonnaroo today. Because it's the same concept of leaving home and traveling somewhere to be with your your tribe and your group of people uh, to celebrate music. But there's a, there's a through line, and I think one of the keys is that rock and roll is is very diverse, and it was never one thing. It was never just four skinny guys with long hair and guitars. Mm-hmm. It was the same art form that had rip roar and rockabilly in the '50s and street corner doo wop. It can have Jimi Hendrix and Simon and Garfunkel in the 60s and Otis Redding in the same thing. And in the 70s, it's dance music, it's punk rock, it's Southern rock, it's heavy metal, and then you get punk rock and you get new wave and you get industrial. It's all rock and roll to us. And you know what? One of the reasons that um, probably that question comes up is hip-hop fits in there too. It's a natural extension, it's an attitude, and it's a spirit. You know, I will never forget one of my great experiences here was your predecessor. And I was very involved in the Rock Hall from the beginning. And I walked in one day and I had not met him, not met Terry Stewart. And, and he said, what in the world's come over you? And I was the bass singer for that song that went to number one in the country with Jack Scott. And he said, would you do the bass part for me? <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, That'd you know, as great. a performer, that's great, Larry. But you, your listeners should know that you're in the Television Radio Hall of Fame. You're an inductee, <laughs> man. <laughs> you know, certain songs and artists become so memorable, they create a time in our lives that help us recapture a place, a moment that carries us right through life. Uh, for me, it would be easy. Elvis, Chuck Berry, The Beatles, The Who... Dion, and that list goes on. This kind of diversity has made the Rock Hall what it is today. Forget for a moment that you're Greg Harris. What would it be for you, Greg? Oh, uh, (laughs) hands down, growing up where I did, uh, born in Trent, New Jersey, and raised in the Delaware Valley, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, He sung about the people and places that we all knew, and uh, his songs Mm -hmm. were a, a big part of, uh, of growing up in that area, and we were lucky enough to get to see him play live a lot. Uh, so, so definitely Bruce Springsteen. Uh, I'm a big fan of The Clash. Um, I was exposed to The Clash in the late 70s mm-hmm. at a time when, um, when uh, it, it really related to me and hit me. And so those are they're two of the greats, but I, I love it all. You know, I love Otis Redding. I love um, Bob How could Dylan. you not, right? <laughs> I, I love the band. I love Chuck Berry. He's the greatest songwriter ever. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's hard for me to, to pick one favorite, but as a go-to, I think I, you go back to Bruce the most. Born in the 
uh, Greg, you're creating a modern-day time capsule and you have been able to secure memories and make sure they are safely stored here for a long time. Uh, you have set the Rock Hall's GPS for a long time to come. So here we are working on our 26th year and you at the helm describing what the next 25 years may look like. I know how enthusiastic you are and so many of us, including those, who, those of us who live, work, play, and raise our families in this great city. You've done it with a passionate desire to make not only Cleveland, but countries around the world to come here and see what you have done for music and musicians around the globe. And you've been able to communicate your passion strategically and purposefully, empowered so many of us to help you attain your purpose. So I say to you, continued great success, my friend. Well, Thank you so much for spending some time with us, Greg. I am thrilled. Larry, the pleasure is all mine, and I'm I'm wonderful to spend time with you and also to express our thanks for everything that you did to help get this place built and to create music fans through generations. So thank you. So we're still talking to 23 million people. That's great. <laughs> Across America. It's just not right for what in the world's come over. Could you ever change your mind? If you do, I'll still be here, dear, waiting, longing for you. All my life I've loved you so. Never dreamed I'd miss you so. Now It's just not right, oh, what in the world's come over you? You're still my angel from above. Yes, your love is my one and only, only real love. This is Take Two, and I'm Larry Morrow. Larry Morrow's Take Two is now a podcast series featuring an inspiring library of conversations that Larry had with many broadcast legends from Cleveland and around the world. Subscribe to the podcast and remember to share it with a friend. A new episode releases each week, and it's right here on the Larry from the Heart podcast platform. Thank you for listening.